Amen. Good morning. It's good to see y'all here today. Uh, we are right in the the uh, middle of this uh, Christmas season. I'm excited uh, to continue on in this study. I want to say thank you again to our guest. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, thank you for being here. We want to be a blessing to you while you're here. Uh, so as the video said, so please uh, make sure that you stop by the Welcome Center, and we have a gift for you. But last week we started this uh, these these Christmas messages, and and it was based on what Christmas is. And we're going to continue to do that. But uh, if you were here, you'll remember, if you weren't, uh, we talked about how we have allowed uh, the culture, the world, uh, what to term what for centuries was a celebration of the church for the incarnation uh, of, of God Himself uh, that poured out into the culture. So the church had a celebration that poured out into the culture, but now we've allowed the culture and the wor- world to turn it into a holiday uh, that's focused on what the world wanted it to be. That's focused on what the world wants to focus on, what's the, what the world wants to celebrate. And namely, there, you know, some of the things that we talked about was time off, talked about presents, family time. And again, I, I want to underscore a few things. R- rest is, is important. So to have some time off, to have some, some time to rest is very important. We should get good rest. Time off is good. We should ensure that we are having Rest, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year, so that we can, as the people of God, be refreshed and strengthened for the laboring that we've been called to labor for the kingdom of God. We, we need to remember that, that Christmas doesn't negate scriptures that we find in scripture, right? We come to this time of year and it doesn't take away our calling as Christians. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, near and dear to my heart, I call it my life verse, whatever, therefore my beloved brethren, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen to what he says, knowing that in the, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's not uh, just a, a cakewalk. It's not a golden ticket. It's not something that we walk with every day and say, well, I'm a Christian and that's all that matters. No, we are here as the, the kingdom of God. We are here as the people of God, the church, the, the army of God. We are here to accomplish His will, to work for Him, to labor for Him. The day of our ultimate rest is coming one day soon, I believe. But now... The Bible says it's time to work. We must remember, no matter how difficult the temptation is to make Christmas about our family, about our events, about our gifts, again, which are all good, as much as we have that temptation and that pull to do that, Christmas isn't about that. Again, Christmas, as much as the world tries to shove that, that down our throat and as much as we may have uh, traditions that we've carried along in our life, we have to remember that Christmas isn't about that. For centuries, it hasn't been about that. Now, I think in modern history, it's, it's turned in, uh, of course, the world has known how, uh, how uh, lucrative it is. And, and again, we, we, we run into that. I, w- I want to make sure that we understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's bad to, to give gifts or to receive gifts. I'm not saying it's bad to have family time and to have events during Christmas time, Christmas parties, all that kind of stuff. 
But getting stuff, buying things, stressing over the getting of gifts and did I get enough, getting the Christmas lists, etc., etc., matter nothing. Please hear me again. Matter nothing as it pertains to celebration of God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us, come to earth to save us from our sin. We just sang about it. The things that we, again, have allowed the culture and the world to tell us we should be doing around this time sometimes take full hold of this. And that's what grips our hearts. It grips our minds. It causes us to stress. It causes us to, it, that's what we're driven by. When this time of year, at Christmas time, we should be celebrating the greatest gift that God has ever given to us, and that is his son. That's what we should be celebrating. That's what should, what should consume our minds and our thoughts and our desires. And that's what we should be so excited about this time of year. Yeah, the, the other stuff is awesome. It, it's cool that it accompanies this. But man, our focus, our drive, our passion should be about the Lord. And again, not about stuff. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus was teaching. And he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Again, we make it so much about stuff. Let's remember, as stress can be really high this time of year, worry and anxiety from so many different angles can swarm us. That again, Christmas is not about these things. Last week we saw that we should remember that Christmas is Christ and, and the joy that only he affords to us. Should, is, is what we should be celebrating. This week we see that Christmas is peace. These words are often associated uh, with decorations that we have at Christmas time. Chances are some of you, like us, have some maybe signs or some things up in our house that have these words on them, right? Joy, joy to the world, peace. And we can forget that this is what Christmas is about, even if we have decorations in our house. We're living in a time when hostility, division, national, political, racial, financial, and even health issues and unrest are potentially at an all-time high. We're living in a world that, that many of us, and we've talked about this before, feels a little weird to us. It feels a, little, uh, it feels a lot less like what it was when we were growing up. Media, social media, technology... I believe is a great facilitator of this. It's easy to fall into the temptation to get carried away, to, to, to get swamped by the cares of this world, right? I mean, if you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is turn on the news or pop open, pop open your social media, uh, it's real easy to, to get stressed and worried about what you're reading or what you're hearing. It's easy to listen to the news, read those posts that you read and get discouraged it's hard for me not to do that, not, not to read something and say, man, is it too far gone? We were just having that conversation the other day. We were driving, and, and uh, just, it, it just is a concern. Like, you, you wonder how, how, how far we've gone and, and, and what has, uh, where, where we are even as a nation. Have we already gone past that tipping point, that point of no return as a culture? But at Christmas time, while focusing on Christ and focusing on what he gives, 
We understand that it doesn't necessarily take our problems away, right? As we're here this morning and we're worshiping, as we're going to do that next week prayerfully if the Lord wills. And, and man, I'm excited about Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve service, and Christmas morning service. When it's such a special time of year, such a special time in our lives when we get an opportunity to do that. Again, uh, while doing these things doesn't take the problems away, right? There, there's still issues in our country. There's still issues in our world. There's still things that we read about that frustrate us and discourage us. It doesn't take our problems and life away. But what it does do is it help, uh, helps us focus on what we should be focusing on. And it helps us guide our thoughts and our attitudes, our actions, our speech, and the way and the direction that pleases the Lord. So, you say, so what you're saying is this time of year, instead of stressing over presents and, and did I get enough, did I buy enough, did I get everybody the gift that I'm supposed to get them, instead of stressing over whether we're going to be able to spend all this time that we need to spend with people that, that we, we want to spend time with, we just don't know if we're going to be able to fit it all in, instead of stressing and worrying about all this stuff that we make it about, we should be focusing on Christ, and we should be worshiping Him, and we should be celebrating the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You're saying that we should focus on all that, and, and while it doesn't take our problems away, it doesn't solve all the issues of the world, what it does do is it kind of calibrates our minds and our hearts. Absolutely. That's absolutely what I believe. We know that our worry, our frustration, our, our stress over, over the matters of this world doesn't do anything but make our quality and function of life diminish. See, if you're at this time of year and what you've been doing is stressing over money, and this time of year at Christmas time, you've been stressing over whether you were going to get everything that you needed to get for everybody, spend the time you're going to spend with everybody. If you've been stressing over the things that are going on in this world, things, many of, most of the things that you can't change, then what it's doing is it's diminishing the quality and the function of your life of, as a child of God that you've been called to be an ambassador, to be light, to be salt, to make an impact in this world for his kingdom. It's diminishing that. We aren't made or, or called to live like that as followers of Christ. Our, our theme verse for this year is, 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 is a great reminder of that. It says that, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things where? That are above. Keep seeking heavenly things. Keep seeking eternal things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and looks in what he says, the negative command, not on the things that are on the earth. Because you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. Paul Chapel, pastor out in California, wrote this past week in a devotional that I got. And as I was trying to finish up some of the stuff, it came in, I think it came in on Thursday. And I thought, oh, wow, I'll, I'll put this in the message. I feel like this is important. The Gallup organization does polling in many more countries than just the United States, he wrote. When they conducted a global survey to determine what kind of life people preferred, do people like an exciting life or a calm life, the results were surprising, he wrote. The results said that only 16% would prefer to lead an exciting life. 16% people. More than four times that number, 72%, expressed their preference for a quote-unquote calm life. There were 10% who said that, that both. They want both exciting and calm. He would go on to say the desire for peace did not exist before the fall of man because there was no conflict to create it. 
However, since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, people have been looking for peace. Because of the ways in which they seek it, many people have been left disappointed. See, we, we look in our world and, man, everybody's got an opinion about everything, right? I mean, I, I've preached on that before. Like, we, we, you can get on Google, and I use Google a lot. I even, um, I even do Google reviews. My, my girls will go to a, a, a coffee shop or a restaurant, and I'll be like, oh, wow, this is really good. Or I'll be like, oh. And they'll ask me, are you going to write a review? Are you going to put a review out? And, um, and so it, we, 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 we have this world that we're living in where everybody has an opinion about everything, and we're listening to what other people's opinions are, and we think that certain people have better opinions and certain people have better viewpoints, and, and they're experts in this. But so many people are seeking external, temporal things to bring an inner storm to rest. Again, at Christmas time, when we should be celebrating and worshiping and enjoying fellowship and rest, so many are struggling with loss. So many people right now are struggling with hurt. So many people are stressing again and worrying, and they have this unrest, and they're longing for this inner rest, this inner peace. Why? Why, why is this the case? Why are so many people hurt and stressed and worried and, 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 and struggling? Why do people look for external things to solve the problem? Maybe it's true. We try to numb the emotions and calm the storm with many things, right? You're, you're stressed. I'm stressed. And while, again, time away and time off is good and it's helpful, sometimes people believe that's the solution to their issue. I just need, I just need some time away. Some people think it's just the opposite. I'm stressing over money, finances. I'm stressing over all these things. And so I need to work more. I need to get more money. Some people think that it's things. It's the stuff they have. Man, if I had that, then that would make all the issues really a lot less difficult to handle. Stuff, purchases. Yet ultimately it doesn't work and it doesn't stick. It doesn't solve what's going on in the inside, what's going on in the mind. So, so what can we bring and what can bring the ultimate calm? Of course, I believe it's the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, our, our text this morning is Luke chapter 2. Chris, you read a little bit of it this morning at the beginning of the service. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This is the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were uh, completed for her to, to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. The angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you, we talked about this last week, the gospel that brings great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared to the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying this. This is what the heavenly army saying. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom the Lord is pleased. So with the angel who declared the gospel of great joy, again, this angelic army steps up and praises God with these words, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, on this earth full of toil and, 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 and stress and worries and, and struggles and hurt and loss, on earth, peace among men, with whom he is pleased. Now, this, this last part, some of you say, well, other versions say different things. Absolutely right. It's been rendered different ways. It says, in some versions, goodwill toward men. In other versions, it says, or toward men of goodwill. However, the best rendering or translation, I believe, is probably peace toward men on whom his or God's favor rests, his grace rests. Peace toward men on whom God's grace rests. In other words, there's a peace that God has given by His grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And it's only those who receive the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that receive this peace that's available for all men. It's only those who, who accept the good news. And that's point number one in your notes today is, is it is only those who receive the gospel of grace that receive the peace of God. It's only those who receive the gospel of grace that receive the peace of God. We know that from the gospel proclamation to the shepherds until today, no one is worthy of salvation. No, no one in this place, no one on the earth, no one from the first proclamation of the gospel in, 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 in that era until now, no one is worthy. The Bible says, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but it's according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by what? His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, another very familiar scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But I have a question. I have a question. Is there a contradiction in what the angels told the shepherds? Is there a contradiction in what the angels told the shepherds in what Jesus taught and what end times doctrine gives us? Is there a contradiction between what the, the angel told, uh, the, yeah, the angel told the shepherds that there is this grace that God gives and that there is peace available through accepting the good news that brings great joy. This, this peace exists available to all men on earth. Is that a contradiction from what Jesus taught and even what end times teaches us? Peace on earth? 
Again, did, D, did Jesus say that's what was going to happen? Is that what end times, if you've been here uh, the, the previous weeks before, have we been seeing the condition at the end time look like a peaceful condition? Matthew chapter 10, this is what Jesus said. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Whoa, 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 whoa. The angels came and said there's a baby born, and guess what? There is good news that brings great joy, and, and, and because the Messiah has come, because the Savior has come, there is great peace on earth. There is going to be peace available to all mankind on the earth. But Jesus later in his ministry says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hmm. He said, for I, I came to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own house. Matthew chapter 24, we've already seen this. And Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end times. He says, you'll be hearing of, of wars and rumors of war before, before he returns. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. A nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they'll deliver you to tribulation and they'll kill you and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Doesn't sound like a lot of peace. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. I believe, you say, well, what's the answer then? Is there a contradiction? I believe the answer is no, there's no contradiction. So it sounds like it. The angel said that there would be peace on earth among men whom God is well pleased or whom God's grace, his favor rests. But then Jesus teaches that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And then the end times, he tells us that there's going to be increasing hatred, increasing uh, uh, violence, increasing hostility on the earth. And I believe, again, there's no contradiction at all. This point number two is this. It's only those who have peace with God that can have and abide in the peace of God. It's only those who have peace, well, I hope you catch that, with God that can have and abide in the peace of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the good news is that Jesus is the answer. This Christmas season, we're thinking about joy last week. We're thinking about peace this week. And we look at a world of hostility. And just as Jesus told us, that's going to increase. And, and even among the people who attend churches, I believe, he says that as lawlessness abounds, as people disregard, disregard God's word and, and, and love to please their flesh and love to live for the world and, and, and love to go back to serve sin, just as he said we shouldn't do if we, if we are dead to sin, that people's love will grow cold. It'll wax cold. We're living in a time that I believe, we're, man, as I mentioned, I think, last week, the, the terrible acts that we're seeing in our world. A little girl recently killed. That's just here local, but it's all over the world. Violence, hostility. 
The Bible says that we can have the peace of God, but that doesn't come until we have peace with God. And the only way we have peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Listen to what he says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. And, and the peace that is for all people, the peace that, that, that he intended for, for, for people to have in his, in his, his death and his resurrection, the, the, the peace is going to be missed by so many people because they never entered into that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way to experience the peace that the shepherds pro proclaim. That's the only way to experience the peace of God in the midst of great trial and, and, and in the midst of great struggle and turmoil and hostility in the world. His coming to the earth the first time made it available for all men to have peace with God. It's only possible not because Jesus came to the earth in flesh, what we're celebrating at Christmas time. But he came in flesh so that he could die for our sins in our place. Which is phenomenal. Jesus came to die in our place to remove the punishment that we deserve from our own account. And deposit righteousness that only God has, the only righteousness. And along with that righteousness, along with that, that glorious exchange comes the peace of God. A hostile relationship made peaceful only through Jesus Christ. I, I just, just think about that for a second. Our relationship before Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior of our life was hostile. That's what the Bible says. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Colossians chapter 1 says, And though you were formerly alienated, listen, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Even though this is the way you were before. This is how we were before we were in a relationship with Jesus. We were in a hostile relationship with God. We were in sin. God hates sin. God is, is the, the judge of sin ultimately. And so our place with God before we got saved was hostile. The Bible says it like this, that we were condemned already. We had the wrath of God, the judgment of Almighty God on our heads before we were saved. Hostile. Not good at all. I said, God loves, you know, no. I have this conversation with someone in, uh, I think it was Thursday, uh, one of our teachers, uh, she was in the office and uh, she was having a conversation with someone, I think, in her small group and uh, said that uh, she was having a hard time explaining to her uh, what some, somebody had written in a, in a blog. And what the blog was, was uh, that God uh, doesn't love everybody, that God hates some people. And, 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 um, and so I said, well, that's interesting. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thought, it's an in interesting thing to go on because what we always know and always learned is that God is love and that God loves everybody. But God does not love wickedness. And he does not love 
the unrepentant wicked sinner. His judgment and wrath rest on them. The only way in his love for us, sending his son to die in our place, the only way for that hostility, the only way for that, that wrath to be, to be satisfied and, and for the, the, the hostility to be turned into perfect peace, eternal peace, is the fact that Jesus died and we can repent and surrender our lives to him and have an eternal peaceful relationship with Almighty God. It's phenomenal. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, talking about Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made, what? A footstool for his feet. Who are the enemies? Well, we were, the Bible says we were enemies before we were saved. Till his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, let us enter in. The, the terms of our peace agreement with God, please hear me, the, the terms of our peace agreement with God were simple yet extraordinarily complex. How did we get peace with God who hates evil and who hates wickedness and who hates sin and we were enemies with God literally on the other side of the battle line? I mean, how is this, I mean, how is this peace agreement bro brokered? You, many of you know what the answer is, but I want you to think about it. The, the terms were very simple yet extraordinarily complex. The, the terms of our peace agreement were wonderful, yet terribly tragic. And so what were the terms that, that were so simple, yet extraordinarily complex? What were the terms that were so wonderful, yet terribly tragic at the same time? The terms, his blood. Further, his life and our place. Again, so simple, yet so wonderfully and so extraordinarily complex. Again, we can only have God's peace and abide in a peace that passes all understanding by having a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. This, this morning, my, my, again, I'm going to read the scripture and then I'll say what I'm going to say. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And notice what the promise is. When you do this, when you walk in this fellowship with the Lord like this, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard, it will protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As so many who profess to have a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I, w- I, would, I would tend to think that there would at least be one or two in this room who say, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there are times that I seek peace in other things. When I'm having a problem, when I'm in a trial, when storms don't go away, when I think they should go away, there are times that I seek other avenues other than turning to my Lord, other than turning to, to walk and, and fellowship with Him and, 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 and make my requests and, and petitions being made known to Him with thanksgiving in my heart. There are other times that God doesn't move in my time frame. And so I turn to other things to try to bring the peace that only He can give that passes understanding. And I say the peace because oftentimes peace that we think that we should have doesn't look and feel or accomplish what we think it should. See, having the peace of God, first of all, doesn't remove problems. It stills us in our problems. Let me say it again. Having peace, the peace of God, it doesn't remove our problems in our life. It stills us in the problems. Having the peace of God doesn't change our circumstances from bad to good. It directs our thoughts to Christ and not the circumstance. So when you have the peace of God, you you know that, man, this is bad. Man, what we're dealing with right now is bad. It's, the reality is there. The emotions are real. It doesn't take away the, the, the feelings. It doesn't take away uh, the circumstances. It doesn't change. You know, well, I just lost my job. We're going to have to sell this. We may have to, to, to do something else. It, it doesn't take all that away. But what it does, it directs your thoughts to Christ and not the circumstance. And so you have this peace that, that exists because you have a relationship with Almighty God who's walking with you in the midst of the storm, even the valley of the shadow of death. The peace of God and having the peace of God doesn't make decisions for us. Man, I'm telling you this, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that to God. God, will you just please make the decision for me? I don't know if you've ever prayed that, but I said, God, I wish you would just do it. And so many times God's like, I want you to trust me. I want you to seek me. I want you to go and do what I'm leading you to do. Yeah, God can do it, but he wants us to walk with him and trust him. Man, I wish he would make those decisions, but the peace of God doesn't make the decisions for us. But here's what the amazing peace of God does. It assures us of what's right in God's sight. So many times people have come to me and said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about this, or hey, what do you think about this? And uh, I'm really struggling with this. I just want to get your thoughts. And and, and a lot of times it's, 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 it's stuff like that, man. I, here's what I would do, but I'm telling you right now, you need to pray and you need to seek to have God's peace before you make any move, before you make any decision. And I'll usually say something like this. Listen, this peace that you'll have, it, it doesn't always line up with what you flesh, or your flesh wants. It doesn't always line up with what you think is right. But the peace of God always lines up with what's right in God's sight. Always. If so I'm really just having a peace, I think I'm going to go tell this person off. That's not the peace of God. <laughs> well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, sell this 
and then I'm going to buy this bigger thing, and yeah, it's going to put us further in debt, and, and yeah, we're not going to be able to, to, to help other people. We're not going to be able to really, I'm probably not going to be able to tithe anymore, but, you know, I really have peace. I really feel like God's peace is given. No, 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 no. The peace of God always lines up with what's right in God's sight. So we understand the peace that the angels promised, that Jesus himself did promise as well, is only found in and through him, the prince of peace, which is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied back in chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child, for to, I'm sorry, for a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This Christmas, I, I pray that you have the peace of God and that you're abiding in it because you have peace with God. I pray that you're, you're a Christian sitting in that seat right now and you say, yeah, I, I do. I have the peace of God. Man, we just lost this loved one. Man, we're just dealing with this financial struggle, but I feel God's peace. I'm, I'm experiencing God's peace. I know that it's the peace of God because I have peace with God because I've surrendered my life in humble submission to Jesus Christ. And there's no other, ex other way to explain what, what I'm experiencing right now. There, there's hostility all around me. There's, there, there's struggles in my relationships. There's, there's difficulty in my health. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in my life. But in, 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 in this struggle and in this storm, what I'm doing is I keep pressing into my Lord. I keep seeking my Lord. I keep walking with Him and relying on Him. And He's just keeping me in His perfect peace. I pray that if you have done that, if you've surrendered your life to the Lord, that, that you and I this Christmas season will do just as the angels did, just as the shepherds did, just as the church has done for millennia. And that's go out and proclaim the gospel of peace. Who have you shared the gospel of peace with recently? Somebody just have a hard time talking to people and grab a tract Tell somebody who is struggling in this world, who is wrestling with the hostility and, the, and the, the anxiety and the worries about where our nation is and where the world is. Man, you have the gospel of peace and you're living in the peace of God because you have peace with God. Share that with somebody. The, the shepherds had to. We get to. Man, let's share the gospel of peace with people who need it. This world needs the peace of God. It's available, but it's only through the gospel. Some of you know what the armor of the Lord is. Maybe a lot of you, most of you do. You remember what it says in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 15? It says, and having shod your feet with what? The preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet need to be ready to take the gospel of peace. Every day, as a part of the armor of the Lord, it's not just about the defense against the enemy's attacks and, and all the fiery darts and protecting our mind and our heart. It's not just about that, but it's about being a soldier in the army of the Lord and being ready, feet prepared to go and share the gospel of peace. That's how the war is won. Now, maybe you're still struggling with abiding in the peace of God. And you ask tangibly, how do I do it? 
I, I, I know I'm a Christian. I, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm a Christian. I, I know I've surrendered my life. But I, in the season that we're in, in the trials that we're going through, and what I'm struggling right, right now, how do I tangibly abide in the peace of God? I've already said it in so many different ways, but I want you to read it for yourself in Psalm 119, verse 165. Look what it says. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. See it again? Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Colossians chapter 3 says it like this in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule. That word rule means uh, like a governor sitting on a, on, a, on a throne or an arbiter. It's the one that makes the decision. So let the peace of God sit as a governor making the decisions in your heart, in your life, to which indeed you were called into one body, the body of Christ, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, or richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says it like this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, then dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things as you're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you're loving the law of God, do these things, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, look at what he says, practice these things. The things you know you're supposed to be doing, obeying, worshiping, praying, walking with the Lord, being in God's word, letting it dwell in you richly, thinking on the things that you should be thinking on. And when you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. Say, that's, that's it? You, you, you mean to tell me that, that what I need in order to experience peace in the midst of what I'm going through right now is I need to spend more time with God? Yeah. You're telling me I need to spend more time in God's Word? I already read my Bible verse of the day. Yeah, you need to spend more time than the Bible verse of the day. Say, yeah, but my, my kids are doing this, my parents, you know, my, 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 my friends, and my people in church, and, and my people at my job, and yeah. Listen, please hear me. The intensity and the passion by which you love, by which you engage, and by which you saturate your mind and heart with the Word, with the word of God will be the measure of peace that you abide in. Let me say it again. The intensity and the passion by which you love, engage, and saturate your mind and heart with the Word of God will be the measure of peace that you abide in. In other words, if you're saying, look, I'm going through a whole lot right now, and you know, I, read, I read a chapter of Psalms, and, and, and I, still, I still don't have peace. And I pray, and you know, five minutes later, I don't feel anything different. No, 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 no. The passion and the intensity by which you love those who love your law have great peace, by which you love, by which you engage and saturate your mind and heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That will be the measure of peace that you abide in. Don't think that moments in Scripture will, will still the raging restlessness in your heart. Don't think that just having a little bit of time with the Lord is going to do. 
No, passionate pursuing of the perfect law of liberty will bring calm that you're longing for. And then don't forget it when you get it. Don't forget what you did to experience the peace of God. Because as soon as you get the peace of God, the temptation will be to stop pursuing the Lord like that. Again, this is done out of obligation. Not out of obligation, but out of desperation. And as I close, if you're here and you can't say that you have peace, the peace of God, because you've never settled the matter once and for all of having peace with God, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never repented of your sins and turned to Him in faith, in humble submission to Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here and you say, yeah, that, that's me. I mean, I've prayed prayers. I try to show up at church when I can, and, and I try to live a good life. Listen, don't miss the great gift and the promise of Almighty God to you. Not only the gift and the promise of eternal life, which is immeasurable in its value, nothing can compare to eternal life on this earth. There's nothing. No person, no thing, no experience, no, no amount of money. Nothing on this earth can compare to the immeasurable value, value of the eternal gift of God. But with that, he offers perfect peace in a world full of trouble and tribulation. Don't miss that. Come today. Don't wait. Let today be the day of salvation for you. This Christmas, let's remember Christ. Christ. And it's about his peace that comes through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do. In our lives and in this, this service today, Lord, we thank you for a peace that passes understanding, Lord. I know that I've experienced that at times that there, there's no way to explain it other than a peace that you give. Lord, I thank you that you give that peace to your children. God, that we can turn to you and we can walk in that peace every day, no matter how bad our life seems, no matter how how, how lonely we may feel, no matter how, uh, how, how big the trials are, we can have a peace that nothing in this world can offer. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning remember that it's available, but we have to pursue you to abide in it. I know there's a lot of people in this room going through a lot of different things. I pray that maybe an encouraging word, a challenge, something this morning was shared that they realize they need to be spending more time with you, pursuing you with greater desperation, being more faithful to walking with you in, in a loving fellowship every day. And again, if there's somebody here who's never entered into that relationship at all, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for them. I pray that you just move now as we respond, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as the music plays, I encourage you to come.